band is that? Flowers for Algernon. That's a book. I used to play bass for Flowers for Algernon, Roman. It's also a band. Yeah. It was a theme. Wait, you played a theme bass? band. Yeah. You play anymore? No, not anymore. But you should. I lost all my skills when the band broke up. <laughs> <laughs> that's a literary joke, ladies and gentlemen. That's uh that's a joke about a book with no words. I mean pictures. <laughs> Shit. <clears throat> a perfectly acceptable comics place podcast episode 94 where jangle will stare at you with a furrowed brow and make you just feel kind of bad about yourself i was just wondering if how in the world you think we got something for a cold open out of all that stuff we just said we're gonna have to find it in the podcast we're gonna have to mine for gold it's gonna be a slightly more difficult edit job but we've gone for 27 minutes at this point, and it's been real depressing. So. <laughs> it wasn't depressing. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. We were talking about wrestling at that point. Yeah. I'm Jeff. Too sweet. And uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm Jeff. And this week on the Perfectly Acceptable Podcast, you'll find three boys struggle for content. And two of them will escape victorious, and one of them will be consumed by a sort of monochromatic prismatic rainbow. Victorious. I'm Django. Spoiler alert, it's me. Oh, fudge. <laughs> I'm Roman. It just occurred to me, what if we had like a week where for some ungodly reason none of us had read any comics by the time we sat down at this table? We'd make it up. Nobody yeah. listens anyway. Yeah, well, that's true, yeah. Only <laughs> Phil would know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just read the latest issue of Police Comics, number four. Six. <laughs> Astro Galaxy 7 sure was good. <laughs> this week we're going to talk about a slurry of books. A blood slurry, if you will. Ew. I don't want to be involved in a blood slurry. Django does. He's a huge fan of them. You take your ketchup. Oh, God. And Tell you him. dip your po' boy in your ketchup. Yeah. Until all the guts fall out. As the guts fall out, you leave them. You don't eat them. You leave them. Mm. What you got at the end is a blood slaw or slurry. Justin coined the term. I talked to Justin today on the phone, no less. Oh, what did he say? He did say some things. Um, those things, he seemed good. He seemed good. Um, we, uh, so good that he's going to stay away? I think he's going to come back. Oh. But I don't know what that means. I said we're going to load him with as much responsibility as he's willing to take, but he's going to have to establish some boundaries so that he can say no, because we're going to want him more involved than he's willing to be. Good. That's what I told him. Good. And that's nothing but the truth. Mm-hmm. This week we're going to talk about Fantastic Four, number one. Black Badge, number one. Superman, number two. Django's shying away because I took his job, number <laughs> 36. <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man, number three. Hot Lunch Special, number one. What's that? You'll find out. Supergirl, number 21. Hey, kids. Comics by Django's best buddy, Howard Chaikin. Howie! (laughs) And Sandman Universe, number one. That's a lot of gosh darn comics. Four, six, eight, in fact. You know what? 
I would say we could throw all of those in the fire and find that many more comics to talk about this week. I think so. But these ones, I wouldn't throw in the fire because I like them. Uh, okay. Uh, I like that one a lot. Which one? The one the, I pointed to. Your, your viewers can't see it. we got to uh, change the camera angle. You're right. Let's get that fixed up. I was pointing to Fantastic Four number one by Dan Slott, Sarah Pacelli, Simone Bianchi, Scotty Young, and Marte Gracia. Do you guys think that they put first and last names on the cover because this is an important number one or as a graphic design trick or what? That's a really good point. I wonder if on the first issue they put full creator names and then on subsequent issues they just do last issues. All these first, last names yeah, all these first issues have full creator's name on them. But like Spider-Man number three only has last names. Yeah, same as Superman number two. Uh, well, this issue starts out with a bang of Steve Ditko memorial pages. <laughs> Downer. Poorly printed, I might add. I was uh, not super impressed with the, the little tiny pages that they put on there. What but, I was not super impressed with was that Stan Lee didn't say anything about Steve Ditko. They just chose a bunch of people that never worked with him. Stan doesn't admit to knowing the guy anymore, does he? Really? I don't think... I, I think that they're not... They, they haven't been tight for a while. Well, Steve Ditko was a recluse that lived without... There was, like, no pictures of him for the last, like, 40 years. There's no interviews with him. No one's seen him or talked to him. And he also, like, didn't he have to sue for some Spider-Man credit? I don't think so. Um, in fact, he said he never got credits for it, but the only contrary information to that is that his neighbor said that he would see checks from Marvel show up oh. that he assumed were from them. Interesting. Did you guys like this? I liked it a lot. I love like it. it. Yeah? Yep. Hey, everybody, guess how I read Fantastic Four. No. I read <laughs> it at Tadeo's with Roman and Brayden and Ashton, and we all sat around a bowl of chips and salsa and read this book, except for Ashton read farmhand yeah. and Django is was his day off slash he was working at his other job I uh, went home and read this mostly naked in my backyard my eyes and mouth agape what a time <laughs> it was I bet agape agape hocho we're not quite sure like this happens at some point after the current Marvel 2 one storyline but Johnny and Ben are back on back in New York Johnny's hanging out with those college roommate Wyatt Woodenfoot <clears throat> at a football game or baseball Mets. That's baseball, right? Yeah, Mets game. Um, Ben's hanging out with Alicia, his old girlfriend, which I guess they're back together. And they get a there's a signal in the sky for the Fantastic Four, except it's all spelled out Fantastic mm-hmm. Four, not yeah. just Flaming Four. four. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so Johnny takes off to go investigate. Ben's hanging out with Alicia. Um, he's he's feeling bad about their dead friends. Um, and he's come to a realization. Johnny gets to the roof, finds spoilers. out... Spoilers. Spoilers, everybody. We're going to spoil this oh, comic, yeah. the, all of these comics. Yeah. Couple, a couple yeah. spoilers for this issue. Yeah, Braden was sitting next to me in the booth, and he was actually holding the comic like this because he was a little ahead of me, and he's like, oh, don't look, don't look. <laughs> <laughs> um, Johnny gets to the roof. It's a couple of Yancey Street gang kids that set off the, the thing to pull a prank. I really like this part. Ben's hanging out with Shecky, one of his old mentors, kind of, from the old neighborhood back before he was the thing. Um, and Shecky's got some artifacts from the old FF. Uh, so that launches Ben into telling a story around one of the artifacts about a lost tale of the Fantastic Four. 
a lost space tale. Um, Turns out Johnny Storm can sing real well. Yeah, yeah. Some good moments where Sue thinks she's the best singer in the family. Nope, nope. Even her son, even her son, little Franklin's like, don't sing, mommy. You're bad. Uh, th- so that was one of my favorite panels in the I, book. Yeah. With, like Franklin holding his mom's chin and telling her, "Don't, don't sing." That's Simone or Sarah Pacelli has a kid. <laughs> I really like the page before it where just sort of like the aliens like, all right, because they need to sing in order to get back to their home dimension because I like that sort of justification, which was that everybody vibrates at a frequency uh, unique to the, where they're from. So singing was going to get them back to the, the the home world that they wanted to go to. So she's like, well, who's the best singer? And it's just a bunch of shots of head and Sue says, it's me. And then every other face says, Johnny, 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 Johnny. And then Johnny says, me. And it's just this <laughs> awesome moment of... Like, oh, yeah, we're all kind of delusional. <laughs> we all think we're better at stuff than we are and worse at stuff than we are. Yeah, and that and that and those pages kind of at first I wasn't really digging the art on this, but it kind of I started getting into it there. I don't know. But, I had the same response like when we flipped through this issue, it was like, wow, this art is not impressive and she did better work on Spider-Man. Yeah. But like by halfway through it, it didn't bother me at all. I thought it was great. Everybody was doing well, but it did it did take kind of getting into it. Yeah. Yeah, and I love the fact that Johnny keeps on singing Donkashun, uh, like even once they're back in New York, <laughs> and they have to shut him up. Um, so we get back into Ben telling the story to Shecky, and Ben's you know lamenting about Reed and Sue and the kids supposedly all being dead, and he's talking about family and hope. And today he saw a sign, so he goes to Alicia's. And, oh, should we spoil it? Should we spoil it? Oh, yeah, we spoiled the piss out of Big, it Big, major spoiler. You turn the page, and Ben finally asks Alicia to marry him after all these decades. Now, let's not go into the history of it, but I did learn while reading this with Roman that at one point, uh, Ben and Alicia were dating. They broke up. Ben was gone off planet or something. Yeah, it was after the Secret Wars. He he stayed on Battleworld and, for uh, like two years. Alicia was replaced by a scroll. Johnny came back to Earth. Johnny and Alicia got married. And then in Secret Vasion, maybe or maybe before that, we Way found out that. that that Alicia actually was a scroll. Yeah, we found out like in the 80s that she was a scroll. So like... That's Johnny married his best friend's girlfriend, but she had been replaced, so... But still, Johnny married his best friend's I, ex-girlfriend. I don't know that I could come back from that That's if I was That's my ben. point. That's my point. So anyway, I don't want to... Well, for a while, he, when he did come back, yeah, that was pretty tense around the old Baxter building. <laughs> what a good sentence. The old Baxter building. <clears throat> um, and she says no. No, I'm just kidding. She says yes. She's very excited to say yes. But it's Johnny, been 45 years. Johnny is real <laughs> pissed off at the idea of him getting married without Sue and Reed around. Yeah, and I really like that, that he was so adamant about that, that there's only one person in the whole world who should be the best man at Benjamin J. Grimm's wedding, and that's Reed Richards. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And so as he's freaking out, we get this sort of long... Like, Johnny goes up and sort of yells into space like, Reed, you're the smartest dude I know. Where the fuck are you? And we cut to some other place and some other reality with Reed and Sue working on some Kirby-looking machine. (laughs) And uh, then everybody looks up in the sky at different times, and the final page of this issue is a giant celestial four hanging out in space. And I teared up two times in this issue, one for that four and one for the marriage proposal. Mm, Yeah. So I got... Chills for that four, 
and maybe teared up a little bit when uh, when Johnny came back down and, and said, oh, it's true, right? They're not, they're gone. Yeah. Like that was really sad to me, like having him realize that. The yeah. marriage thing, whatever. Hey, I'm, he I'm was a cold, so sad. I'm a cold, cold man, Jeffrey. Nobody hates marriage like my boyfriend, Django Boyne. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is more disheartening for me either. I like this issue. I liked it a lot. I'm I'm surprised that you liked it, Django, because as I was reading it, I thought, like, this is this seems like a very Marvel book. It is a very Marvel book, and I don't generally like that. Um, I read the whole backup. I didn't quite get it, but I liked the art. I really liked the backup, and was a little was a, felt a little bit weird about the art. I think that it was really cool art, but this artist does like really nice. It, they kind of have a Alex Ross vibe to me, which is very different art, but in terms of like how static the images can be, um, I don't know. The Yeah, I find this guy actually more static than Ross even. It's a new creepy thing, having Doom running around like in in a skirt and his cloak and mask. Yeah, he just seems like he's lost it. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's all shirtless and it's disco Doom. I can't think of why his face would have... Yeah, I don't know when. Gotten ruined. Like, at the end of the uh, Bendis Iron Man stuff, he kind of just goes back to his castle. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't get scarred up again. Because... Unless it's some kind of, like, circuitry? I think it's because nothing makes sense. <laughs> He's ah. got, like, like welts and boils and stuff all over it, too, which I think is cool. It's more than... Like, it looks like gross, fungal, disfigured, more so than just, like, a burn or something. I, I like the idea of, like, a tumorous... Mm. You know, doom. Yeah, I do too. And and yeah, the back. Uh, it was a fine back story. It did what it, I wanted it to do was establish doom again in Latveria and being a bad guy by the world standards, but not by his or mm. maybe the Latverians possibly. Well, what do you guys give it? Um, nine point five. Um, I and. And that that I think actually is more just uh, related to how much I enjoyed it because I don't like the art wasn't super on point and there were you know but if it made me tear up two times and got me real excited and, and whatnot then I would say yeah I'm gonna give it a seven uh, I, I would give it probably an, an, a full extra bonus point for giving me real emotions <laughs> um, but I'm gonna stick to a seven. I'll also give it a... I'll, I'll give it a 9. No, I'll give it a 9.5. <clears throat> Listen, guys, we read a comic, and I think we discussed almost every single issue. We even had special guests on the show to discuss this comic That's with true. us. It was Grass Kings. Our shows issues. featuring Jay Christensen. And Colette Penketh. And Colette Penketh. They've done it again. Matt Kent and Tyler Jenkins with Hillary Jenkins on, I guess... Uh, colors they've made a comic that looks real pretty and is printed on rough <laughs> paper with sort of atmospheric <clears throat> watercolor art so this follows a group of uh kind of boy scouts i don't think they're literal boy scouts but they're they're basically boy scouts who are on vacation in south korea and they're with another group and uh we slowly learn that they are on a government mission from America to infiltrate North Korea and 
cause some havoc. So they're like 15-year-olds who are super secret spies, <laughs> and they have skills like, you know, hiking and looking like 15-year-olds so they don't go to prison in North Korea. Hmm. Uh, what did you guys think of this? I think I liked it more than it sounds like anybody else did from talking to him. What did you like about it? Well, the art, for sure. Like, I, I like the aesthetic of the books that these two guys put out. For sure. Um, thick covers, thick pages, watercolor, uh, rough paper, uh, sort of atmospheric, um, just some nice big single pants. So the art is really great. I liked the seeds of it. I'm not, like... When this book was solicited, I wasn't super into the pitch of it. Mm-hmm. I liked it more than I thought I was going to. Boy Scouts is not a thing that I care about. I like the idea of intelligent 15-year-olds being used to accomplish a mission that, by the nature of their age, they wouldn't be able to accomplish. It felt a little bit like a Wes Anderson story <coughs> to me. And... <coughs> I guess maybe that's part of what I don't like is is the amount that you have to suspend your disbelief for a Wes Anderson story yeah. and for this story. Yeah, and I, I didn't – I don't think I disliked it at all. It just – I was hoping for Grass Kings yeah. and got not that. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and for sure. It, it is very dear. I would rather get more Grass Kings than this, but – I I think that these these two dudes and uh, Tyler Jenkins' wife deserved you know to explore some other stories. Roman, what do you think? Pretty much the same as you guys. Um, <clears throat> my favorite part was actually the the one kid remembering when he had to swim underwater and complete this task. At one point, you take off your scuba mask, and for some reason, he dumps his whole tank. Which I was thinking, well, that's stupid. Why would you abandon the tank? Because he can't fit through the thing with the tank on. That was good. But then the rest, I was like, you know, and now they're in North Korea accidentally, supposedly, but not really. And, yeah, I kind of didn't really care. I had a hard time believing that these kids, yeah, the the too much suspension of disbelief for me. Yeah, And that's and a good point about Wes Anderson. It just kind of feel like a Wes Anderson film, and I'm not a fan of Wes Anderson. Yeah. Except nothing is symmetrical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I did. I also like sort of. The character dynamic setup. I like that yeah. there's this one kid that we know the best that nobody else really likes, but they have to have him because another kid died. And yeah, they even talk about him fulfilling that role. Yeah, and it's it just seems like it could go interesting directions, but it also seems like maybe it it, it might not. And, yeah, and yeah. so I, I'm excited to give it a couple issues to find out what's going on with it. Yeah, like I really like this back cover thing on the inside front cover with the secret things in their uniforms. Yeah. But nothing in the issue got that, I don't know, clever for me. I oh. give it uh, 7.5. 7. Perfectly acceptable. Yeah. I'll give it a 6.5. Speaking of mob bosses and protective custody and crime, jazz music just changed the order up. Uh, Hot Lunch Special number 1 by Elliot Rahal and Jorge Fornes. This was a lot more confident than I expected from two people I'd never heard of. Yeah. And not only that, but more confident, I feel like, than an Aftershock book. Mm -hmm. It felt like a more conceptualized and higher quality book than an Aftershock book. Listen, you're talking to a guy who's read almost all (laughs) of the first issues of Aftershock. 
I would I would contest that. You you, you disagree? I think aftershock has about a fifty percent very good hit rate for me in their first issues. Yeah. I don't I don't even necessarily speaking to the quality, but more to the confidence, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Like it it just it didn't really hold your hand. There's such a level of like comics professionalism I going on totally here. I totally agree. <laughs> even down to the second page, um, where the halfway down the page, uh, there's the, the the shot of the people celebrating on the boat, and they have panels dividing it to show that it's the same. It's in the same way of the Mister Miracle. You know, panels will have the same background, but panels dividing chunks of it. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, like I stopped and said, very proficient usage of the nine panel grid. Like uh-huh. I, I said it to myself. So like, <laughs> which is a weird thing to to say at, to yourself reading a comic, but. It demonstrated, like, okay, like, they, they know what they're doing. And there are pages in here that have so many panels, and it never feels cramped or rushed. No. Like, it, they're, they're, they're really using the panels to tell the story at their pace. Yeah. Well. This, the, the shot of, like, the, the kid who says, like, you know, it smells like my summer's in here. It smells, yeah. like my, it smells like my 20s, and it has him sort of flashing back to being a kid in a slaughterhouse. But like it shows his face, and then his face right next to it, aged like just yeah proficient usage of like time jump yeah. using comics to demonstrate that yeah like a well done book I think I guess the premise of this book is it it seems to focus on either two or three parties that are crime parties or crime families mm-hmm. and they are involved in meat packing. And the distribution of meat and one of the other groups is like a vending machine group. And we basically had a vending machine person pay off a meat producer to give them not quite exclusive rights to the meat that they produce, but like... Like an uh, extra third of yeah, their production. Priority yeah, priority of their... D- distribution rights. Yeah, and then, and then one of the other like vending machine people or beef buyers then sort of takes a vendetta out against the per- the that beef packer who is not going to be pack basically a vending machine person and a beef producer and another beef recipient and <laughs> the beef other beef recipient lost some of the beef that they were going to be getting like i guess what i liked about it is it was a really well conceptualized crime dynamic and shows how intricately crime families take whatever they're dealing, but they did it with a really asinine thing, yeah. which was like beef in a vending machine. But yeah, this, this book, this book is good. I, I think I really, yeah, I really liked the, uh, the whole Midwest, what organized criminals do in the Midwest. They, they, they have command one, the one guy, the Arab, the Arab has uh, control over the, Corey's and that's vendor. what they call him in it. Yeah, yeah, that's what they call him. Yeah, yeah. that wasn't just me. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I, I like I like that. Also, the final four pages I think were very cinematic. 
we it's they just, were they're beautiful yeah panels divided into like six horizontal shots it shows all the different people you've met you're kind of going through it as it, it felt like the final bit of you know the epi- first episode or second episode of like a TV show like The Sopranos or something yeah but we end with this kid sort of cleaning up a restaurant that he works in he's the son of one of the people and he starts smoking a cigarette while he's like stacking the chairs and I didn't even notice it until I got near the bottom of the page and I had to start the page over but you slowly see a car pull up behind it and the lights are shining through the window and then people get out and just gun him down gun through the windows of the establishment presumably shooting and killing him who we like that's who we think is the main character yeah right so he's the son of is he the son of the the uh, vending machine? Yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. So, from from a storytelling standpoint, I hope he's dead. Right. Because because they set us up for this kid to be our protagonist, yeah. and if if they have the guts to kill him on in that first issue, kudos. Yeah, I, I'd give this an eight. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd give it an eight. I think Maybe I'd give even it an eight point five. I do have one question. And Django, you're the closest thing to a Midwesterner we have here. And a crime boy. Uh, yeah, and a crime Listen, boy. Listen, you son of a bitch. Well, Wisconsin- Look, you should have seen his face. We're gonna <laughs> Wisconsin's kind of Midwest, isn't it? A, we're definitely going to get a bleep on that one because <laughs> you were being a very hateful character when you said that. <laughs> well, th- this sequence here when this guy is talking to the, the, the meat vendor dude or the meat packer guy. He offers them a bar. What are the, Is this a Midwest or this is a Minnesota thing? What are they eating? This is this, this, like this bar... It's, it's a like candy a, bar. Yeah. It's just a plate of candy bars? It made me think about... And he uh, dips it in something. I mean, it's got... What is that? I think it's just hot and kind of melty. I was thinking after I read that page, because he offers him a, like a candy bar on a plate of unwrapped candy bars. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. Those look like ice cream sandwiches. What, or Andy's mints. What if... Yeah, and the Nymo bar. But <laughs> What if you had enough money to just have a plate of unwrapped candy bars at the ready at all times? <laughs> And I actually like I I actually thought okay. about this guy's secretary and how <laughs> at night she has orders to throw away the candy bars so he's got fresh ones in the morning but she takes them home to her family who hates how many candy bars they have to eat because they get like seven candy bars yeah. a day. So here's my question. If it were you boys, would you have a plate of all of the same candy bar? Or a variety of candy bars. I think in that instance, I would force a type of candy bar on people. Okay. They would be like something a little bit bad. Like if, if you're yeah. doing... A whole bunch of crunch bars. If you're doing... No, because I, I like crunch, crunch bars. bars. You, you son fucking... Of, <laughs> you that's my son of candy a bar. Bitch. Boy, I know it's Roman's favorite candy bar. It's like, it's like the, that's like the definitive example of the fact that Roman is slumming it all the time. <laughs> Even I as think, a kid, that was my favorite candy bar. Yeah. If you're wearing a white suit and a cowboy <laughs> hat and you're doing dirty dealings for your meat. You want a Mr. Good bar. I think you want dark chocolate. I think you want like 85% cocoa <laughs> chocolate to, to offer. You want like the bitterest, worst chocolate to give your, your, I your have adversary. I have cacao beans. Yeah. Because <laughs> what? Are you not going to take it? I'm just trying to think of what I would do. I think Mr. Goodbar is appealing to me. I think that you do not want that classic bag of fun size Hershey's that are like Mr. Goodbar, oh, no. regular Hershey's, and dark chocolate. I. <clears throat> oh. 
Oh, you got it? Oh. You got it? Okay, I do have it. Yeah, is it like this almond be... Snickers? No, 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 no. It's 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 one step to the left. Oh. I want a plate filled with actual regular size York peppermint patties. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, want to give perfect. somebody a fucking York peppermint, like not the fun size right. that we used to eat, Carry Born R.I.P., but like, like the three inch, the fucking three inch It's like a hamburger hockey of... puck of way too strong men. Sweet. You know what the best part Nothing of that would be? It. Mm. The best part of that would be watching every single person who takes it from you and they have to take it. They're going to inhale wrong. At some point in the conversation. <laughs> oh, I, and, I breathe oh, too hard. <laughs> <laughs> also, like, the number of third finished York patties you'd have. <laughs> like, or just, oh, God, it would be so much fun to watch people decide whether or not they're going to take it, at what rate they start eating it. Like, that would be a game. And they melt in your hand, too. So oh, yeah. it's like, as soon as you take it off the plate, the, the clock has started. Gosh. Listen, boys, did you read Superman number two? I, I can't did. believe this book has been around since the 50s, and we're only at number two. <laughs> that was a fun bit. <laughs> What's wrong with dark chocolate? I love dark chocolate. So do I. Way okay. more than milk chocolate. Oh, yeah, me too. Do gangsters like dark chocolate? Fuck no. Probably not Midwest ones, no. No, dark, yeah, gangsters like milk chocolate. Right? Yeah. So that's right. what I'm saying. Like, you're in this, you're in this high high-tension business situation with people who definitely don't want a really dark chocolate <laughs> I love candy whatever bar. total bullshit criteria we've set up that gangsters do not want dark chocolate, but I absolutely stand by it. They're yeah. in it for the guns and the butter, baby. Their malls eat dark chocolate. They're, what did you just say? Malls. They're malls. The M-O-L-L-S. dames, the frails. Yeah. M- what? They're, they're, the skirts. Yeah. Come on, Jeff. <laughs> I've never heard that. Step term. back into the forties with us. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, she and the malls out there. Absolutely. Do you see the gams on that one? Absolutely. I could almost see her calves. I felt like I was in a sluicy film. <laughs> Superman number two by Bendis and Ivan Reese, Joe Prado on colors. What'd you guys think of this? It was a total sluzy film. <laughs> Man, I was like, oh no, I don't know what the term for a hussy in the 20s, 40s is. And I said sluzy, and that's not a thing, but everyone just went with it. So thanks, everybody. <laughs> what a sluze fashion. Man, so I started this book. <sighs> yeah. I like the it beginning. It had a Fangar War in yeah. the beginning. I yeah. don't fucking care. Dude, I, I stopped and I was like on that double page spread. No, actually it was on the, the four page four and five of that double page spread. And I, I was like, am I going to do this? <laughs> and it's only because I worked... We all work hard on Wednesday. Oh, sob story. But I worked, I worked, and then I ran a big errand, and then I came back to try and squeeze in the comics I was going to read before the podcast. And I just, today I was too tired. I had like five books I wanted to read, and I was f- frantically trying to stay awake, not through the comics' fault, but my own fault. And it unfortunately really affected my perception of about five books I read this week. Um None of the ones we've talked about so far were one of those, but this was one of the first ones where I was just like, oh, damn. Those first few pages were really rough for me. Wow, see, I had the opposite thing. I really love these first... Because I've always loved the the, uh, Tamaranians, Starfire's people. Sure. Because, I mean, they're so ridiculously beautiful. They're all golden skin and red hair. Sure, that's why they looked familiar. They looked like Starfire, and I know that character. In fact, I think this guy is... 
King Myander. Yeah, that's that's Starfire's dad. So this was Bendis telling everybody like, "Hey, I know DC continuity also." Yeah. Yeah. Like this was and a plus, st- plus I was intrigued. I was like, "What? What is this first time I've been this interested in Rogel Czar? Is like why why the Thanagari has hired him? Is he a mercenary? What is he?" So, I this love is... that they just decided to pack it in when they saw him. Yeah, yeah. And then the Tamaranians are just like, "Oh, retreat." This is actually Bendis telling only Roman that he knows DC. Yeah, history. I didn't get it at the time either, but now I do. But then we got into this thing with Superman and he's telling he's flying around doing Awesome Superman things. And that I really liked. I I, yeah, really I love those sequences. About six pages in this book. I love seeing <laughs> big panels of Superman like rescuing Jimmy Olsen in a helicopter, like hauling a, a icebreaker by its anchor chain <laughs> out of harm's way. And he's telling he's reminiscing about this story when Green Arrow asked him once, Isn't it hell being you? Because you can't turn off your superheroing and the cries for help and everywhere. And Superman gives this great talk how he answered no because uh that's a reminder he's always hearing people yell calling for help but he's also hearing people other humans coming to someone's aid well and his his description of it is just first of all and i love i love the colloquial nature with which bendis is writing superman he writes him talking like a respectable person would actually use english language right now so he says first of all yes i can i can turn it off anytime i want I don't. I never have and I never will. But I can. We all can. I could leave the planet and never come back. And that is just like another instance of Bendis really, I think, getting into a zone of locking down a voice for Superman that I like. Yeah, yeah. And I complain about Bendis's sameness for characters a lot, but when he lock gets a character's voice, and I really love to add to what you said when... Uh, this one big beautiful page when Superman's looking down at the Earth in the Phantom Zone. I'm not going to say this day sucks. I refuse. I'm a professional award-winning journalist, and I can come up with something describing the fact that the entire planet Earth is blah, 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 blah. And just the way he says all that and and the fact he's not going to be lazy and just say, oh, it sucks. I really like that because that's what Clark Kent, yeah, would be thinking. My big complaint of this issue is the art. And the art just made me not care about stuff. And I hate to say it, but I finished this issue and I said the second half of this issue was garbage. <laughs> like I, and I think that I, this was the, you know, I was in a, I was very tired and I wanted, I like to give a thing more energy than I was able to give comics when I was reading a couple of them. But like down to the fact like Barry is there and he's being not very Barry. And yeah, then. that was confusing. And then he takes his hood off and it's Wally's hair, and Wally says, I know, John, I forgot. I think I forgot which Flash I was for a second. And that is, like, the shittiest... That there, that, I have problems with that on so many levels. Like, all right, man, well, if you don't know what's going on, how am I supposed to know what's going on? Maybe that's the point. We're not supposed to know what's going on. But Bendis, you should do a better job right. of defining... Okay, it should sound like Wally being Barry, but no, it was it sounded like neither Barry nor Wally while he was being the Flash. Right. And then it was just Wally. So is this Wally or did the colorist screw up? Right. And because yeah, that's Barry's costume. Or maybe Wally. <laughs> is this not happening and Rogelzar has launched a psychic attack on Superman. And it's definitely and he's messing that. things up. Does Earth is definitely <clears throat> not in the Phantom Zone. Yeah. I it's would not? say that I, I personally okay. think that that's definitely not. Um in fact, when we saw this shitty picture of whatever Kryptonian Rogelzar finds, 
I thought that that was Rogelzar's true form or something. Like I, oh. I think that we're we are dealing with. I don't even. I want to believe that this Rogelzar character is not actually who it is, and it's something larger and bigger, and it's going to be a twist. I, I want to believe uh. that because. I think Rogelzar is a terrible villain. It's a terrible name. It's a terrible history. It's a story based on a thing that's been done a ton of times. The Earth just popping into the Phantom Zone for no reason? Like, that doesn't make sense. Did you guys like <clears throat> the Batman bits? No, not really. No? Um, I, I didn't. I thought it was weird that Batman would talk about shitting his pants right. and pulling over the Batmobile to do it because obviously he would keep driving. Right. And like Kevin Smith wrote where he peed his pants. I think that's okay. But it, for me, it was just like, this is Batman. Tell me you know exactly what this is. And it's like, that's a fucking, like, right Batman. And then Flash says, we know it's you, Batman. You have a very distinct voice. And then later he says, Superman, this is Batman. I feel a wild discomfort in my chest and bowels. Yeah. Yeah, I was... I don't think it's real. Not so good. All right. right. So are you guys going to give it more issues? I'm... I'm well, abs- yeah, I, I'll keep it reading. I basically read anything <clears throat> Bendis writes. Like, even... Like, this was the least I've liked a Bendis issue in a very long time. Mm-hmm. I'd give this one a six and a half. I'm going to keep reading it in hopes that I like it more. But, Jesus, keep the keep the Thangarians and the the Starfighters out of my fucking books. Hmm? Tam- Tamaranians. Tam- <laughs> the Tamarins? closer than I meant to be. Tamarins. <laughs> the Cimmerillions. I'll give, it, I'll, I'll give it a six, but, I have to, but, you know, the last, the inside front cover, that Mr. Miracle shirt that's coming up, I'll give that a ten. <laughs> That's an awesome shirt. Let's pull this inside, out again. Inside back cover. Inside, yeah. Technically. What did I say? Inside front cover. Oh, yeah, back cover. That's a great shirt. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah, I want that shirt. Pretty good. I'm going to give this issue a four. Oh! Um, yeah, I know. That's, uh, that's a really low Jeff score. It is a really low Jeff score. And I do want to stress that, like, I was exhausted. And it had tamarins in it. And, <laughs> and just, like, all of that stuff that happened in the second half just didn't makes sense maybe it's all a dream he's gonna wake up all new hardy yeah or <laughs> i don't get that it's okay i make new heart jokes every once in a while just for roman it's not okay. for, just you, for me. i don't know what they are do i usually cop to not knowing what they are oh yeah okay. yeah you never know yeah it's my favorite part of that particular podcast <laughs> he did look at roman <laughs> and not me uh, Amazing Spider-Man number three by nick spencer with ryan otley on art and cliff rathburn on inks Oops. laura martin coloring Jeff. (laughs) Yeah, buddy. I'm still reading Amazing Spider-Man. I know. I don't know why you are. Um, I'll tell you why. Okay. It's because the first issue felt like a zero issue or like a a one-shot setup to me. I think about that. I I cannot not think about how you've described the first two issues when I read this book. The second issue... Felt like the first five pages of a first issue. I don't. To me. I still can't. I can't get what you mean. They, they're they're introducing us to characters that we all better fucking know if we're reading a Spider-Man book. Yeah, but that's what they do whenever a new writer takes over a thing. That How a do guy... we know? It's been thirty years since anybody but Dan Slott wrote a Spider-Man I agree. comic. I agree. Which it which means even more that they need to do that. <clears throat> this issue felt like the resolution to what I wish the first issue had been. So if you had given me a double-sized first issue containing issues two and three, but you've been getting I would have been satisfied. Every two weeks, so it's just like a big old fat first issue that <clears throat> came out over a month and a half and is six 
you know. I six, don't know. You know how words mean things. I don't think you're so wrong. So do numbers. I know. I, I I don't think you're wrong. I just like, and I value where you're coming from. So that's why I keep trying. Like I have not written it off. I keep trying to be like, what does he mean? I'm not sure that I'm not wrong. How did you feel about this one? I liked it quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I I liked this one a lot. And as I was reading it, I was like, I want to say that I love this book, but I don't want to be the, I don't, I don't, like, everybody else seems lukewarm on it. So, like, am, do, do I feel like I love it just to be contrary? Because I don't feel like that's it. I really like it, but it also does just feel like a Spider-Man story. If I was going to give this book, uh, like, an honest criticism, it would be that it feels like he's in a rush to get to another, to, to get to the meat of this story. And so we get a lot of really quick exposition here. I, I don't I don't really know how to describe it. It's like it feels like a Bendis book to me, in that we are moving slowly with a lot of pages, but we're getting a lot of character relationship stuff, mm -hmm. and the plot itself is moving slowly, but we we are cutting to different scenes a lot. And it's not that we're without substance, but we're not progressing through an overall story super quickly. So in this issue, we find out that in the previous issue, when Pete was blasted by the thing that gave him his original spider powers, he was split in two. And one part of him became Spider-Man. Oh, shit. This is just like Superman red and blue. <laughs> yep. And one part of him became... Peter Parker. Yeah. Peter Parker has no powers, and Spider-Man has no idea that um, there's a with great responsibility or great power becomes great responsibility. Yeah, yeah. And he also doesn't have Peter's scientific smarts. Yeah. Well, no. Well, no. Peter, Peter doesn't, doesn't really have, have his scientific smarts. So Peter is no, just Peter a doesn't? kid. He's just a dude now. And Spider-Man is the science guy and the spider guy and kind of a like kind of a jerk though. Not a jerk. But not a jerk. But he's not. He's the, the last page shows him taking down the Tri-Sentinel and a bunch of New York buildings with it. So he's, he's he doesn't... happily doing it. Yeah, he doesn't quite understand that his actions have consequences, which is something that Pete understands and has understood from, from the start. And I guess the... So there's a point where they meet up on a roof and Pete and Spider-Man are both realizing that they are the same person and they go through this whole thing. And I would like a couple of issues of that. Yeah. Of them like hanging out, being buddies before we have kind of this, it's like, it's like he's hitting you with a baseball bat. Oh, whack. Pete doesn't have these powers. Whack. Spider-Man's well, kind of a dickhead. I got to, I mean, like, honestly, that first conversation they had, when they're talking about it, and they are doing like cute kind of stuff to figure out that they're the same guy. It's like Bill and Ted sixty nine, dude. Yeah, but I also I got a ooky feeling about Spider Man in that interaction. Did you? Yeah, I was like, wow, wow, I, it, and it didn't even. Ex and so I was like, wow, do I just like inherently vote for an underdog, and now I'm on the side of the guy who doesn't have powers? Right. But it's that this Spider Man does care a little bit less right like he doesn't necessarily value the other side as much as spider-man does and and i felt that before i understood that that was actually a thing that they were writing uh-huh and and so you know i did like that 
And yeah, I, I think that the way that they were proving it and having that interaction, I, I liked it. I thought it was goofy and cute and fun. I really liked. What did you say about if this is like a Bendis book mm-hmm. with the inter, the personal relationships and everything, the dialogue? But yeah, the plotting is really slow. Um, I kind of don't care about the plot, though. The final page was Spider-Man riding that Tri-Sentinel that he's rewired. That's pretty awesome. But my favorite parts were yeah, him and him and Pete on the rooftop talking. And Pete and MJ talking at the bowling alley. Yep, I like that. Um, that was all good. Like uh, I, I like seeing and feeling that character. As I was reading, I was like, man, I just love relationship books. And I, I was thinking, like, I don't think Django loves relationships. Um, the motherfucker. First, I don't know. Like, I love teen drama stuff. I, I, I got to admit, when I turned the page <clears> with the Tri-Sentinel, that got a chuckle out of me because I don't think we've seen that since it first appeared in the 90s, maybe. Yeah, there's a there's a fucking relationship book I fucking like, you fucker. <laughs> I say, yeah, yeah, hey, hey, like, listen, you want to take your shirt off and let me drum on your belly? Absolutely. I'm a big fan. Look at that. <laughs> but listen, I don't think that we should forget, which I did forget while reading it, that the first page is a book that gets a page on the Serengeti with people hunting an elephant and then somebody gets stabbed in the chest. Who could it be? Well, it's got to be Craven, right? Duh. Yeah, but like, I was talking to Braden about this, oh, no. and I know Braden is just like, you know... And Roman as well, like huge Squirrel Girl fans. I really like the evolution of Craven through that series. Yeah, Craven and Squirrel Girl is just makes old typical Marvel Craven just boring. I would give this uh man, I'd give this a seven and a half verging on an eight. And I surprise, motherfucker. I totally understand not liking this art. I love it. I'm going to be so fucking sad that after issue four or like five or six that Ramos is doing an art because I don't want to read that at all. Yeah, see, I'm not thrilled with this art, but I really, really don't like Ramos. Yeah. I want thicker lines in this art, but other than that, I really like it. I want us to all go bowling. I haven't been bowling in a long time. I did see wanting thicker lines. When's your birthday? February. We'll go bowling in February. February 11th is my birthday. I feel like you used thicker lines in Invincible. I, yeah. Why do I have to wait till February? I'll give it a seven. Nice. <laughs> oh boy, do you think we could ever get Howard Chaykin on this show? He gave me a cell phone number. Oh. Okay, we got to talk about <laughs> Hey Kids comics by Howard oh. Chaykin that he wrote and drew. I'd be too intimidated by him. I, I think you just wind him up and let him go. I don't think there's much interviewing that happens. I think he's got a. <laughs> I think he's got think a script that he follows. That he would probably disappointingly leave because he would realize that I'm not playing his game and I'm going to talk to him like a normal person who kind of doesn't give a shit about his personality type. We got to get you guys in a room. Yeah. (laughs) I would be quiet until I just got comfortable enough to talk to him and I would just clearly be not enamored by him. (laughs) All right. So this has been marketed as the tell-all comic book history that's going to ruin careers, right? what what has been marketed? We didn't say Oh, it's called Hey Kids Comics by Howard Chaykin. Number one. Yay. Uh, writer and artist, Howard Chaykin. Colorist, Will Quintana. Um, I know that Jeff's longtime listeners are going to remember that I met Howard Chaykin at uh, New Orleans Comic Con. And I don't know if I mentioned this before, but he told me that at some point he was really glad that he hired an editor because image just lets you do whatever you want and for one of the first few books he did at image he did exactly that and 
Satellite After Sam? that, what's that? Satellite Sam. Satellite Sam, or maybe even something before that. Low Black Kiss, maybe. Black Kiss is is really old. Black Kiss Two. Maybe it was Black Kiss Two. Whatever it was, he said that he was glad that he had hired an editor because he needed somebody to tell him when to stop and when to do things differently. And he's got an editor in this book, but I don't know that he listened to him much. <laughs> <laughs> I got halfway through it and I stopped reading about it. I actually don't uh, dislike Howard Shaken as, as much as a lot of people. And... I think that he deserves the opportunity to write any comic book he wants, just like everybody else deserves the opportunity to write any comic book that they want. And that's how I feel about art, and he deserves that same right, just like everybody else. But it is my right to not really care about reading it. I wanted to like this a lot. I did, too. I was excited to read it, and then I was like, oh, this is an old period piece. That might be cool. Ugh, I don't have the energy. It, it jumps 10 years at a time, and it, it eventually ends up in 2010, 2001, uh, 2001. And uh, the thing that I wish it did was not change the names of the innocent or the guilty to protect the innocent or whatever. Um I was lost almost the whole time. I didn't know who was supposed to be DC or who was supposed to be working for Marvel. I didn't know who was supposed to be inventing Superman and who was supposed to be whatever, whatevering. Um, and there were too many characters for me to really track. I'll take on some of that burden. It's my fault I couldn't track all those characters. But I would like to see this with a search and replace on the names of the characters to be real life. Yep. Yeah. Me too. I was having the exact same problems. The only one I recognized for sure that I was 100% about was, okay, there's Jack Kirby. Who oh, was Jack yeah, Kirby? look at him right there. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Sid? Is it The Sid? guy with the cigar. <laughs> Always. Okay. And he's got Jack Kirby's board. That's how Jack Kirby yeah. draws. That's, yeah. that's his board. But everybody else, I was like, okay. And at one point they reference, there's two G names, how they got screwed over. And I thought, okay, well, I guess that's Siegel and Schuster, so yeah. they're not even main characters here. Right. That's somebody else, unless they are main characters, and I just didn't recognize them. I thought it was going to be a lot more contemporary stories that people would be able to latch onto, and yeah, this requires knowing a lot about the early stuff. Django, have you Roman? Have you either of you read Sean Howe's The Marvel Tales? I don't read books. The one. So I never quite finished it, but I loved reading it and just it drowned in comic books. But Sean Howe wrote a book called like Marvel, the untold story. We have it downstairs and it covers all of this. And it's actually this like incredible, awesome, very accessible uh, history of Marvel. And is it, 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 covers, is it a novel? Yeah. Okay. But it, it it's, it's almost like an oral biography yeah. or something. I know which it, one you mean. Yeah. I might even have a copy. I don't it's know, but really I haven't read it. awesome. Yeah, and you need to have like read that. This needs well, like you said, this needs a legend. Or yeah, key annotations in it. would be great. Yeah, annotations that'd be awesome. Because yeah, I was I was just often confused. All right, that's that's more than enough, Jeff. Good luck editing that down. I would give Hey Kids Comics a six and a half. Yeah. And I'm, also, I'm going to read at least the next issue, maybe the next two. I'll bet that I don't get to the fourth. I'm going to give a six. I think. And I didn't finish it, but I do think that you could enjoy this a lot if you were a comics historian. Um, 
I think the art is fine, and I, I, I don't have a problem with him. I think if you did know who these people were, hmm. it would yeah. be kind of fun to read. It would be. It would be. I really want to reread the Jake and Shadow comics and see if they're as opaque as his current stuff. Aren't his current you stuff, getting up to that portion? No, I, I, I started after that. Oh, okay. But his, his current stuff, I think if you're not paying super close attention and you're not tracking the, the words in the way he wants you to inflect them, it's hard to figure out exactly what's going on. Hmm. I think it's hard to know exactly what's going on because of all those gunshots in the background. You're going to shoot Roman, before gotta, Roman gives know, a number? Just, <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it a five. <laughs> Jeff. Yeah. If you had a minute and 30 seconds to talk about comics, what would you say? I would say that Michael Cray, number 10 of 12... I don't. I think that the art has gotten better, except the artist doesn't seem to be able to draw eyes looking at the same thing. It's always something with this guy. Yeah, uh, but I did really like that um, in scenes where it has two narratives going on, and one involves Satan or Constantine. All of the panels were curved, whereas every other panel was angular. Um, I like this book. I liked it more when it was moving quicker, but we sort of found what they want the it, like the arc to be, the final arc to be, and I don't care too much about it. It's about Constantine and uh, Wonder Woman of this world, and that's less interesting to me. She Could Fly, number two, by Christopher Cantwell and Martin Morazzo. I liked this issue a whole lot. I didn't... I liked it as much as the first issue, but it didn't deal as much with intrusive thoughts and that particular disorder. It dealt more with an overarching mystery going on with the girl who could fly and how it relates to the other people. And it's just a really well laid out mystery, I think. It gives bits, it alludes to other things, and it makes you wonder a lot. But it, I don't know. You don't quite know what's going on with it, and it's interesting. The characters are all interesting. You got like the physicist who's maybe into pedophilia, but you don't really think he is, but he is married to the, or hanging out with the prostitute. Um, I, I'm really interested in it. I'm really excited to see where it goes, and I really, really like this artist. I'll, I'd read pretty much anything that he does the art in, and I think I got Roman's copy of this book. My copy's at home. Are you sure? I'm sure. Why, does it have fingerprints rubbed off all it. over it? It does. It has the fingerprints <laughs> Yeah, because I haven't read it yet. I give Michael Cray a 7, and I give She Could Fly an 8.5. I think it was as good as the last issue, but it didn't smack me in the face with being impressed by it um, in the way that the first issue did. Roman. Ah, yes. 90 seconds, the chapel of stat. Nine, 90 <laughs> seconds. Pray to the gods. Home number three, Go. Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, number 35, The Last Hunt for Craven. This was, oh, it's such a fun series. It's always a fun series, but this was such a great issue about Craven and his friendship with Squirrel Girl, which has been building up, as Jeff mentioned earlier, for a year. And the last issue, uh, he was going to be arrested. He got out on a technicality, but then Spider-Man shows up and is going to fight with him. But Brain Drain and Squirrel Girl and Squirrel Girl's friends all talk Spider-Man out of doing it because, you know, Craven's been trying to make good. He's a good guy. has a very touching goodbye scene between Craven and Squirrel Girl, which is just, it's beautifully done. And I really hope that Marvel continues this characterization of Craven because he's trying to make amends. He's trying to be maybe, if not a good guy, at least not... A predatory macho hunter as much and at the end he actually tries to become a superhero plastic man number three um 
This also continues the fun. We've got one page in here. Plastic Man in drag is Harley Quinn, except he's got a massive bulge, which I think he uses his powers for. <laughs> um, <laughs> right there. Right there. Right, right there. That's a hot It's pretty shot. It's pretty hot. It's pretty hot. There's some more great Wang jokes. Um, <laughs> there's one awesome panel where he becomes a big hammer with Plastic Man goggles on, and he hits a criminal while he's saying, this is what it sounds like when thugs cry. It's awesome. Prince it's reference. Just, it's just a fun book. Both very fun books. I'll give Unbeatable Squirrel Girl... Jeez, I'll give it a 9.5. I like that the Harley shirt says <clears throat> Daddy's a little accident. Yeah. Yes, and it's got the correct uh, apostrophe also. Um, and Plastic Man, I will give a 8. All right, so moving on to the final book. Motherfucker! I just wanted <laughs> to give you a nice, gentle ribbing. Go! Oh, my ribs! Uh, <laughs> I read Farmhand Number 2 by Mark uh, Rob Guillory with Ty- Taylor Wells on colors. It- this is pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Um, the plot thickens. I recommend it. I also read Blastosaurus from Golden Apple Books. This is a kid's comic about a couple of kids who go out looking for a dinosaur because the tabloid said that if you find a picture of the dinosaur, they'll pay you 50 bucks, and that's a whole bunch of Pokemon cards. And <laughs> they find it. But it's just a person dressed up in a Tyrannosaurus costume. And while they're looking at that, this robot attacks the dinosaur dressed up in the Tyrannosaurus costume. And it's revealed that the person dressed up in the Tyrannosaurus costume is actually a dinosaur that they want the pictures of. And it's really cute. Um, I don't think we got many. I think you should get one. It's good. It's crazy Jeff ordered that. It's uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I was surprised to see it, but it's solid. Uh, Catwoman number two. More good Catwoman. I I could see this going on five issues. I don't know what they're going to do after that. And as far as I know, it's an ongoing series. She Could Fly was also great, like Jeff said. Unnatural number two was pretty solid. And uh, I also read New Lieutenants of Metal number two. It has another great three-page sequence where they give their logo I thought that was as amazing. the title. I'm glad you guys were liking that. I'm saving it to read back to back with the Spinal Tap comic. We got I saved week. Catwoman and Unnatural because I was like, I think I might be too tired to actually appreciate these books today. And I think I was too tired to appreciate Catwoman. It was not uh, not my favorite of the week, but the art is good and the story is pretty good. So I, I think I was just kind of an asshole when I read it. Yeah, it's important to bear in mind that we all we all get tired and can't appreciate things as well as we'd like to sometimes. We're tired boys. Farmhand. I'm gonna give a seven. I'm gonna. I'm going to give it a seven and a half, yeah. Uh, Blastosaurus, I'm going to give an eight. No. No, an eight and a half. I, I really this is a good comic. to read that. It actually, there, there were parts of Blastosaurus that made me think of four kids walk into a bank, just layout and graphic yeah, design-wise. makes sense, because you're the guy who called me out for fucking up two podcasts ago for not having read that, so I don't know. You're fucking up. I know. <laughs> Stop I, fucking I up. I know. We just got the paperback in today. Catwoman gets a seven. Uh, she could fly. I'm going to give that an eight. It that was weird to have such a departure from the first issue, but still be super interesting and, and, and not feel off tone. Right. It's, yeah, I was going to say it didn't feel off tone, but it was a very different portion of the story. It was like watching a like an X Files show that was different than the other shows, but still still fits yeah, in the just, canon. I yeah, guess. it made me feel like. This story is bigger than I realize because this very different part of it 
clearly feels still a part of it. Yeah. Uh, Unnatural gets a seven and a half, and New Lieutenants of Metal gets a seven, and I'm definitely going to read the next issue. Uh, Sandman Universe number one by a Ooh. billion people. Wow, right Sorry, I just, I just tried to kill a fly. We've been trying to kill flies this whole night. That I think it's grown since the podcast yeah. Well, I killed one. It's mutated. Um... Neil Gaiman, Simon Spurrier, Nail Hopkinson, Cat Howard, Dan Waters, Bill Quis Evely, Dominique, Domo Stanton, Tom Fowler, Max Fiumara, Sebastian Fiumaro, Matt Lopez. Will you say Bill Quis again? Bill Quis. I like it. It's for you. Did you read this one, Jeff? Uh, I read most of it. I, not to spoil everything, but I did not like it very much and decided about <laughs> eight pages in to start scanning it and then did I read all of some of the little stories in it. Old man Sandman. <laughs> People asked all day, is this an okay spot to jump on? And we said yes and I do not think it is at all. Really? Yeah. No, this is a continuation of uh, Neil Gaiman's original Sandman series. I'd like to apologize to everyone who came in today. Yeah, it... I'm an asshole. It is, but like... I, but I think you can figure it out. I mean, it'll be revealed. I mean, I love the first, the framing, well, like, it's the first end framing story, because I love Lucian. He's one of my favorite characters in the Sandman mythos. I think and what Jeff is saying is... if you read Sandman, <laughs> don't know who Lucian is... He's, he's the librarian for... Again, that's but, but fantastic. They explain, but he explains that right here, for every sure. book that was never published. Yeah, I got um, that. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Merv Pumpkinhead is the janitor, basically. Sure. I don't, yeah, I don't think that it's that confusing. No, but no. But also, I, I don't think I, it's, I've read the whole Sandman story. I don't think it's confusing. I don't care about it at all. And that's there's the just thing. no way. Like, there's no way to any of these people. I have not read their story. Like, that's my problem. That's not the quality mm. of the book. But I think that if you have read Sandman, you would like this very much. Mm -hmm. But. This is like Sandman Universe number one, and I really think that if you want to read it, you probably should have read Sandman, if you want to enjoy it. Yeah, much. I think the main audience for this is definitely, like I when I got to the page where Cain and Abel, and he smashes, Cain smashes Abel in the head with that mallet, I was thinking, you know, people are new to this, it might be wondering if... Why they do that if they don't know who Cain and Abel are biblically I know who, or in Sandman. I know who Cain and Abel are biblically. I had no idea that was Cain and Abel. Oh, but they call I each other. I think they call themselves Cain and Abel. Sure. But yeah, but then they introduce these other characters, which I think are new. The clown guy and this woman with the, the floating giant-headed baby. I think those ones are actually new. Yeah, there are a few new characters in this. So basically, there's been a rip in the dreaming. Something's wrong, and the Raven, uh, Matthew, right? Yeah, it used to be Matthew Cable from Swamp Thing. Yeah, he is sent to find Dream, or Daniel, or Sandman. Or Dan Dan Daniel replaced Daniel's Morpheus. Sandman's, right. Yeah, it's right. his son, I think. But he's Dream now. Yeah. And he's Sandman. Yeah, he's well, only that. until the original one comes back, I think. Anyway... There's a lot of lore here, buddy. Right, that's my point. <clears throat> so Matthew is sent to find Daniel because the dreaming is breaking apart and Daniel is, is, is missing. And on his trip, he meets a bunch of characters that we may or may not recognize from old Sandman stuff, uh, including Tim Hunter from Books of Magic. and uh, I liked that part. Lucifer. From Lucifer. I liked that art. And uh, I don't 
really know some of the other characters, actually. One of them was a new thing. The the woman. The House of Whispers stuff. Yeah, the... the, the Dora. Dora's new, I think. The House of Whispers stuff, that's definitely new. The um, Is that Cajun, Zydeco? I don't know. <laughs> I think that's, yeah, part of House of Whispers. Yeah, that's um, new. So basically, you're getting an overview of the worlds that are going to be in each of the other four Sandman universe stories. And uh, unlike Jeff, I know about Sandman, and I <laughs> liked it pretty well. I I liked it more than I disliked it. Yeah, I liked it more than I disliked it, though I think I maybe had the opposite. My favorites were the maybe different than Jeff's, because I liked Dora. I read all of Books of Magic and a couple series they did after that sequel series, and I'm kind of done with Books of Magic. I, I was reading this going, why is Tim Hunter still the same age he was 20 years ago? And I, and I, <laughs> Reboot. And I could totally yeah. agree with that. I just feel like that was the most easily accessible thing if you haven't read it. Mm. That like yeah. made the most sense as an introductory thing. Like, uh, okay. okay, magic kid going to a class. Wait, this isn't what he expects. Whoa, this is a strange mystery. Like You know that. why? Yeah. And I like Harry Potter. J.K. Rowling. Yeah. <laughs> and I like the... I like the uh, Oh, the House of Whispers introduction. I, I'm curious about that. Lucifer, I, the art was cool, but I don't really care about Lucifer. Um, and then my other, and my favorite part was just Lucian and the dreaming in the library, because I love libraries. And I really like <laughs> the concept of that place. I would like to read stories in that place. I don't know. There's a whole series about it. Also, there's a Sandman comic that dips in and out of it quite a bit. You, I'll give it a read at it, some point. It, you might feel rewarded if you muscled through the first few issues yeah. of Bad Art. I I'm just re- curious, yeah. like, if you read these number ones, the, the Dreaming, the Books of Magic, Lucifer, and House of Whispers, like, are those going to be good launch points for someone who's right. uninitiated in the, in the universe? And they're good writers. Like, if they treat them mm-hmm. like things that are just, like, new series, I think that they absolutely could be good things to read, and I'll try all of them. Fingers crossed. Are they good writers? I mean, other than Cy Springer, I've, I guess never, that's I've the, never heard of these people. He talks pretty highly of them. Uh, yeah. Bilquis Evely. Is a Roman. name I've seen for sure. <laughs> and Fiumara and Mac, like Sebastian and Max Fiumara are artists that have done a lot of stuff lately. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious about what Dora is. That one bored That was the particularly Could, boring one to me. Dora the b- Explorer. Because I think she's a new character. Yeah, she is. Oh, she's got flapjacks. I think we've talked about this for too long. I'm going to give it a seven and a half. I'm gonna give it a six and a half. Ooh! I'm gonna give it a a seven point eight. I like that. We got any calls? Yeah, we absolutely have a voicemail. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's check this puppy out. And by puppy, I mean dog. Hey guys, this is Yoshi from YoshiCast.com, as well as a frequent patron of your fine Bellingham store. I really just wanted to take a moment here and thank you all for reviewing the first issue of Cosmic Ghost Rider a few weeks back. Even though you spoiled the ever-living hell out of that book, (laughs) I still had to have it and read it for myself. And when I did... 
I loved it. In fact, I just literally finished reading the second issue, and I loved it too. It's been a long time since a comic book made me laugh out loud, but this one sure as shit did. So I want to thank you guys for turning me on to a new series. But now we come to the point in the voicemail that you guys look forward to. Uh-oh. The segment known as, <laughs> what would your elevator pitch be? Oh, fuck. Now, you guys know I'm a huge Transformers-obsessed fanboy. Oh, As you also know, IDW is closing out the current run of Transformers and rebooting the entire franchise at the end of the year. So, get ready to come up with a bunch of Transformers pitches. Fuck. Django, we're going to start with you, sir. What's your elevator pitch for a Transformers story from the human's perspective? The original 80s cartoon had the father and son known as Spike and Sparkplug Wiki, the auto mechanics who were friends to the Autobots. And in the 80s Marvel (laughs) comic book, Spike was actually a headmaster partner for Fortress Maximus, the Titan-sized city Transformers. You also had really 80s villains in those books, like Robot Master, Circuit Breaker, who made her first appearance in Marvel's Secret Wars 2, and the mechanic. But I really want to know, what would your elevator pitch be for a Transformers comic book from the human's perspective? And while you're trying to figure that mess out, Django, let's move on to Jeff. Now, Jeff, several years ago, there was concept art leaked of a Transformers versus Justice League book. The book was eventually canceled before it ever saw the light of day. So, Jeff... What's your elevator pitch for a Transformers versus Justice League book? So jealous. While you're trying to figure out that messed up yarn ball, <laughs> let's move on to Rowan. Now, Rowan, Rowan. you and I don't know each other very well. I guess not. But what I gather from this perfectly acceptable podcast that you co-host on is that when it comes to the Hulk, you know your shit, sir. So what would your elevator pitch be for a Transformers versus the Hulk book? And with that, gentlemen, I'll leave you to do your thing. Yoshi out. Holy shit. So I think that we have to mention at first, his voice sounds perfect. Yeah. Like, wow. He's got a great voice. Wow. Yoshi, subscriber to our store, uh, wonderful, wonderful dude. Uh, He mentioned his podcast. It's it's fantastic. He's also got a YouTube channel. Um, I'm going to get that link while Django thinks about his pitch here for just a second. Uh, No, I'm ready. I'm ready, motherfucker. I got to find this email as well, so... Holy fuck, dude. <laughs> I forgot what you're supposed to do. <laughs> uh, oh, the human perspective. Yeah, the human perspective. <laughs> Belch in amazement at the Transformers? <laughs> no, I, I, I got it. I'm just going to let Jeff do his thing while my bladder fills. Okay, 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 okay. okay. You ready? Do you know your thing? I know my thing, you know motherfucker. Your, not really, no. I don't even need a timer. So, here we are. Transformers are on Earth. People know about it. Just a second. You only get a second. Just a second. What? You get a minute. All right. I don't even need a minute. Well, that's what we just for the last pitch we did. Dude, listen. Everything devolved when Yoshi gave us like an amazing voicemail. Um, not only was it like a great content, but it was crisp as shit. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I should. He should take my place on this podcast. We got room for a fourth, dude. Uh, when that reboot happens, we'll get him on for the first issue for darn sure. Um, all right, Django. Here you go. All right, so everybody knows the story of the Transformers and how they uh, kind of uh, arrived on the scene. So my movie... uh, It's a comic book. Whatever. My comic... No, it's a movie. My movie, from the perspective (laughs) of the humans, um, when the Transformers arrive, is 
written and directed in black and white by huh? Michael Kevin Bay? Smith. Oh, sorry, I was Kevin Smith mind. directing Clerks, where their main topic of conversation is the Transformers and making dirty jokes out of names like the Headmasters. Oh, and Optimusy <laughs> Prime. I'm taking the wrong route. And uh, <laughs> you know, it's just a bunch of dirty dick and butt jokes about the Transformers names. Uh, Mike Drop. With 12 seconds left that I will use to yeah, wasn't, share... Wasn't there a Transformer uh, named Thundercrack? I mean, there you go. Thund- Thundercrack. <laughs> um, Astrotrain. Uh, Yoshi is an awesome subscriber. I mean, Ash- we, Astron. We adore. He's gotten some just cool covers and cool comics in the past. He's a guy that we think about a lot. Uh, he's been he- coming to the store for since before I was working here. I think we even have a Transformers variant cover for his podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a couple at Moonbase for sure. He's a he's a really really good dude. So uh, he has a YouTube channel and it's just Yoshicast. Um, I would give a YouTube search for that. All one word: Y O S H I C A S T. He knows more about Transformers and GI Joe than I do for sure. He's also got some great <clears throat> video content and he's got a great beard and super friendly eyes. Everyone should check it out. Um, if you like comic books, also if you like you know sweet ass eighties properties. Um, He's a he's a good dude to hit up. I'm gonna try and jazz music this thing when Django takes over the time here. Jeff, go. I've got a minute. Okay, uh, so you're down to 57 the things seconds. Things that j- jump to my mind is I really love Starscream and I really love Megatron and Optimus and Rodimus. So what I want to do is I want to do a story arc <clears throat> where Starscream, in an attempt to betray Megatron, teams up with the Joker and. They're working against Megatron and Lex Luthor, who are... So it's not necessarily Transformers versus the Justice League. It's more like a world mashup. And then I want Optimus Prime and Superman to, like, get down with their business and just, like, take care of shit. We got Rodimus, who's working with, like, Nightwing, because he's got a Nightwing vibe to him. Um, and I'm just... I can't stop picturing Starscream with that crown uh, when he's being, you know, coronated after Megatron's being turned into Galvatron. Um... I can't exactly think about what would happen to make all that, but those are the dualities that I've struck, and I really like seeing those six people together in my head. I think that Starscream and Joker would be a really, really awesome dynamic to be playing to subvert against an ulterior motive that Megatron and Lex Luthor are working together. Ding! Last stop, everyone off. I'm sorry. I just like I I dig that concept, and I don't know exactly what to get behind it, but I really like. I do love the Transformers when their Michael Bay doesn't have anything to do with it. Would Batman win? I I think Starscream would win oh. or Rodimus Prime. I mean, like honestly, I would I would go Transformers over Justice League because I I they're cool and they're an underrepresented property in my mind, and I. Yoshi, I can't wait for that comic book relaunch because I've never been able to keep up with the IDW stuff that's come out. And even when this Unicron arc started, I read the first issue and it was just so steeped in the years of continuity that comic has had. Um, it really prevented me from being able to enjoy it as much as I love Unicron and that and that world. So I'm really excited for them to reboot, for me to get on board at uh, Square One, and I would love to have you on the podcast to talk about that stuff with us. Now, Roman... 
Do you remember your pitch? Because I see, I've been thinking more about your guys' pitch. Because as soon as I heard yours, Jeff, I, all I was thinking was like, "Wow, can the Transformers like take over cyborgs, cyborg parts, and make those transform?" Okay, and that would really cause okay. some pain, wouldn't it? For sure, <laughs> I agree with you. What about Transformers? Also, okay, so so, dude, the the Autobots hack into Cyborg and team up with him. The the Decepticons. Hank Henshaw, Cyborg Superman. <laughs> and we turn both of those people into like some sweet ass Transformer Justice League Legion of Doom members. That would be really cool. Wow. That would be cool. That's a good Justice League. Or a that good would be awesome. Sound. Speaking or, of which, why wasn't Cyborg in that issue with Superman number two? When I don't know, but you got 60 seconds, Roman. Go. Oh, uh, so the Hulk versus Transformers. See, I don't know my Transformers. I never watched, I didn't watch the show, I didn't read the comics. Do you um, want me to feed you names? I know Starscream's one of them. He's there you so go. Start cool. with Starscream. Oh, my favorite. <laughs> and Jazz. Well, Jazz, I'm, I'm the sure, Moonbase too. Well, see, I'm sure there must be a Transformer that's uh, like the the scientist Transformer dude. Sure. Yoshi would so, know. Like, yeah, well, yeah, Yoshi would know. Well, let's say that Transformer, he he runs into the Hulk. He's going to try and either use study the Hulk, maybe to use him, maybe to cure him. He hasn't decided yet. Um, of course, the Hulk, Bruce Banner, freaks out. Starts fighting these dudes, but the science transformer zaps his camera radiation out of him, turning him back to Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner somehow, in order to get out of harm's way, he crawls inside of, gets into this transformer, ends up hitching a ride back to Unicron, hulks out on Unicron, starts destroying the planet. The rest of the transformers have to come there because isn't that their home planet? They have to save him. No, that's something? Cybertron. But I love Cybertron. The idea Cybertron. Of him getting to Unicron. Okay, well, which Unicron. Is a living planet that okay, devours well, that's, other. That's planets. just a cool name. That's why I pulled it's it out of my ass. <laughs> Um, listen, everyone really should check out YoshiCast on YouTube. He's got a lot of stuff not related specifically to 80s properties, but just like comic stuff in general. Also, super, super good dude. We love seeing him every week, so thanks for the voicemail. Do you think that in that universe that Roman was just talking about, the Dinobots would be in the Lost Land? That's what I forgot. I want to see the Hulk riding Dinobots. Fuck yeah. Well, so <laughs> Lost Land or... Savage Land? Savage, Savage Land. Land. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, I was thinking, like, is that a DC property? Because, like, Savage Land is what uh, I was thinking about. The Lost Land is Turok, right? Oh, I think oh, so. Yeah, because the DC one is Scartaris. Warlord. That's Holy two shit. podcasts in the world. No I brought up Scartaris. No one is listening to us anymore, and it's not because of, <laughs> of Yoshi. They are. It's because we suck. <laughs> <laughs> they're glued to their they're glued to their Noroco radios. Listen, we <laughs> yeah. want we want you guys to give us elevator pitches. Email them over to info at thecomicsplace.com. Uh, call in. One six six. Oh Jesus! Six six three seven three three six. Leave a voicemail. What Yoshi did is he recorded an audio file and emailed it to us at info at the comics place, and that works really really well. Also, maybe even better than the voicemail line. I think that in the next two weeks, I want a Justice League pitch. Either the next podcast or the one after that, we're gonna wake up and record it in the morning. What? <laughs> Yeah, I know these guys don't know that, but I think that that's what we're gonna do. You coming over to my house? I'd come over to your house. I'll record it in my bed. Can we have pancakes? my bed clothes? I'll I don't bring wear much. I will bring <laughs> all of the recording stuff to one of your homes if one of y'all makes breakfast. Dude, if you will get me a Britney Spears mic, I'll make you pancakes while we do the podcast. Oh baby, baby, how was I supposed to know? That something wasn't right. So in the last podcast, there was a moment where we all broke into the Age of Aquarius, I think. <laughs> yeah. Which is very, very good. Did Un- it make it into the, the Yeah, podcast? oh yeah, it's in there. It's in there. Without any prompting, we all just start singing it poorly. Um, everybody, 
Thanks for listening. Thanks, Nick Waite, uh, for letting us use his music. You are an awesome musician, and I hope that your cooking uh, internship in Spain is going well. I'll see you in a few weeks. He's big in Spain. Yeah, he's huge in Spain. That's why he went for the cooking internship, is because he's got, like, fucking biddies left and right just flocking to that musical uh, output of his. Old ladies? Yeah, biddies. Okay. Sure. I got biddies left and right. Biddies, biddies left and right. <laughs> Throwing panties on the stage like Tom Jones. <laughs> I'm just like, wait. <laughs> Tom Jones doesn't wear panties. I'm Jeff, and this has to end. <laughs> I'm Django, and I feel a wild discomfort in my chest and bowels. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm Roman. I got nothing. I have to pull the Batmobile over. <laughs> Look at this picture of me. <laughs>